So last week I spoke on the topic when God doesn't seem to keep his promises. And today, as promised, is part two. And I'm entitling this God's words and his works. And we're is doing this as part of our Old Testament series. My goal today, sometimes we can feel God was leading us, but end up in a bad place. How should we understand it if this happens and guard against it happening to us? My focus last week was when basically when the promises are in scripture and they don't seem to match up. But sometimes things happen in our lives which are, which are, um, from the way we believe God has been leading us. Quick summary of last week. Uh, we looked at the story of Abraham. We saw how God kept telling him, you're going to have a son. You're going to have children like stars in the sky and nothing happened. And time went on and again and again. And, and year after year, God was appearing to him. And in the end, Abraham said, well, how do I know this is going to happen? And God made another promise to him. And we read that he believed God and God counted that as righteousness. And we saw how if God had given him the promise, the answer right away, he would never have been able to exhibit that incredible faith. And we saw how God's words, what he says he's going to do, and his works, what he actually does, when they don't match up, it's faith that has to bridge the gap between those two. And so rather than being a challenge, a challenge to us, this can be an opportunity to us. And of course, in the end, he did have the promised son. And then we looked at the book of Habakkuk and the main story in Habakkuk, chapter one, Habakkuk says, look, God, you've said all these things, but what's happening is not what you've said. And chapter two, God says, wait and watch. When when the time is ready, it will happen. And the last chapter, Habakkuk, he says, he says, even though the fig tree doesn't blossom, these things don't happen, I'm still going to trust in the Lord and this statement of faith. And this was his, his, uh, his statement that this is how we resolve this problem. And we have a choice whenever we're in a situation where we've got, you know, God, what God says doesn't seem to match up. Are we going to listen to the lies from Satan that says God doesn't care about you, God doesn't exist, he's not real? Or are we going to say, no, I'm going to trust in God because I believe that he's faithful? And so this time we're going to have three three things. The first, we're going to talk about the difficulties that we get into. Then I'm going to ask, well, what did God actually promise it's a question we have to ask, and then walking in wisdom. So the first thing I want to talk about is something called spiritual bypass. You may have heard this expression, you may not. It's, um, it's used, um, used in psychology, and it's speaking about uh, often religions, very often Buddhism, where people just deny anything's wrong and then just kind of just escape. And a typical phrase from Buddhism might be, just don't get too attached, let go and find your inner peace. You know, your problem is you're just too attached to these things that happen. Just let go of them. And But we have the same sort of thing in Christianity. And, you know, somebody tells you their problems, you just say, ah, it's okay, all things work together, you know, don't worry about it, it's all going to work out. And actually we're not engaging with it. We're just bypassing it. 
Another expression, this too shall pass. It's not in the Bible, by the way, that verse. Um, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, weep with those who weep. So if somebody brings their problem, you don't kind of bypass it and say, oh, no, spiritually we just, yeah, it's okay. But you say, you acknowledge the fact that we are in a veil of tears. You know, what did Jesus do when he saw them at Lazarus' funeral? Jesus wept. He engaged with their emotions. So I, I want to say that right out, that I'm not talking about a spiritual bypass here. I'm saying we need to engage with the fact that the pain is real. Anyway, um, so let's let's just deal then with the, introduce the issue I want to talk about today with a story. Um, I I remember once talking to a woman who she was a pastor's daughter, and she told me that um, later in life she was changing careers. She'd been tra- she trained and practiced as a dentist. And she said to me, I just, I just hate dentistry. I just hate everything about it. And I said, excuse me, asking, but why did you get into it? Oh, she said, well, God led me into it. And there was this kind of anger and resentment and sadness and a bit of bitterness that, that, that this had happened. And I'm thinking, you know, did God really lead her? I don't believe God did, but I believe she was, she was in a, a model of how to know God's will that had led her to deduce that God was leading her. Thankfully, she got out of it and she's doing something completely different now for the, the, uh, the latter part of her life that she really enjoys. Um, so I've got, um, some stories about this question about God leading. And the first one is from 1 Kings 22. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, he's the king of Judah, so the two kings are getting together, will you go with me to attack Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I will support you, my army and horses are at your disposal. So their northern border had been attacked, and uh, he's asking for help from the king of the south. And uh, then Jehoshaphat, who was a follower of God, said, first, seek a word from the Lord. It's a wise thing to do. So the king of Israel assembled about 400 prophets and asked them, should I attack Ramoth Gilead or should I not? And they said, attack. The sovereign one will hand it over, will hand it over to the king. Zedekiah, the son of Canaan, made iron horns and said, this is what the Lord says. With those you will gore Syria until they are destroyed. All the prophets were prophesying the same, saying, Attack Ramoth Gilead, you will succeed. The Lord will hand it over to the king. The king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah attacked Ramoth Gilead. Now an archer shot an arrow at random, and it struck the king of Israel between the plates of his armor. The king ordered his charioteer, Turn around and take me from the battle line because I'm wounded. While the battle raged throughout the day, the king stood propped up in his chariot opposite the Syrians. He died in the evening. The blood from the wound wound ran down into the bottom of the chariot. As the sun was setting, a cry went through the camp. Each one should return to his city and to his homeland. Okay, so that's setting up the problem for you. And uh, you might say, well, what happened? Like, wasn't that God speaking? Well, I haven't told you a vital piece of information here. And I'm going to tell you a little later in the sermon, uh, and you will understand. But um, 
the, uh, one of the, the passages, here's another passage which illustrates the problem we're looking at today. And this is from Job. I am weary of my life. I will complain without restraint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Tell me, why are you contending with me? And so a couple of people who were really in the situation where what God, they believed God had said, did not match up at all with what was happening in their lives. So the question that I want to, to, to raise now, and this is like the main thing out of my three points, what did God actually promise? What did he actually promise? And to understand that, we need to say, what do we mean by God's words, by God speaking? Many years ago, back in England, uh, when I was a, a, an undergraduate student, I belonged to a church that taught very, very strongly that God only speaks through the Bible. But I was constantly challenged uh, by what I heard and read and experienced. So, for example, I, I, I was reading a story, and this is something that happened um, 150 years ago. An old charcoal burner called John Barry, who lived with his, his wife in a mountainous part of the USA. And in December 1874, he was sick and had not been able to get provisions in before the winter. And the snow came very severely and it utterly cut them off from the outside world and they didn't have enough food to survive. And so John was a godly man and he and his wife gave themselves to prayer through the night. Well, 10 miles away, the deacon of the church they belonged to woke up suddenly in the night with a very strong impression that he must take food to John and his wife. And so just a, just a feeling, just a strong feeling. So the next day, he hitched up his sledge and his horses and he filled them with food. And it was so bad, it took him five hours to get through the weather to get to John's house. But when they got there, they had a large supply of food and it saved their lives. So was, so the question is that God, was God speaking or was that just like a random coincidence? Tell me, was God speaking? Yeah, I think we'd all agree with that. Yes, that it wasn't kind of a random thing if you woke up with. Because like they were praying at the time that he got woken up. Amazing. Um, um, here's another story. Uh, back in 1990, my, my dad, David Fountain, who was a pastor, um, he was given six months sabbatical by the church and he um, decided that he was he really needed to ask God's guidance as to what to do with his time. And one of his ideas was that he should visit New Zealand and he'd um, and just spend, spend the time there. So he decided Saturday morning that he would sit down and he would just devote that time to praying to God. And um, nobody knew about this apart from my mom. And by the way, I confirmed this story with my mom last week. And it, it's, she, she confirmed all the details. And uh, so at midday, there was a phone call from New Zealand. Just imagine that. From New Zealand at midday. So that must have been like midnight at their time. 
And the person on the other phone, say, on the other end of the line, said, I just want you to know, if you're ever thinking of visiting New Zealand, we have a place for you to stay, and we have a car that you can borrow the entire time. Wow, what about that? Would you think that was God speaking? Yeah, that was. So, so I don't think any of us would doubt that. In fact, you get to the point that to say it wasn't God is, would be like almost blasphemous. It was such a clear. Why was that? Because it would be such an extremely unlikely thing for, for it to happen otherwise, like millions to one against. So, um, so a good way of understanding different ways of God speaking, is to divide it into two categories, which we call, theologians call, general and special revelation. And I would like to um, just outline this with you. And I, I like to think visually, so I've done this with some pictures. So special revelation is primarily, like the most important thing, is the Bible. And then we have principles and wisdom, which is derived from the Bible, and we have God speaking through dreams, visions, and prophecies. And we call those special. I'll explain in a moment why they're called special. And then we have general revelation. Does anyone know what would we call, would call general? Yes, like you read in the Psalm, creation. So, uh, this is God speaking through his creation. Then there's conscience, innate knowledge of morals that we have as humans, um, and uh, wisdom and feelings that we might have actually at that time, and then the events of life that happen, you know, like a thunderstorm or a phone call. So uh, I just um, so I. I've um, distinguished between the Bible and principles and wisdom derived from the Bible because sometimes there's a question in the Bible like, there's not in the Bible, like, should I open a social media account? You know, that the Bible won't tell you that if you, you know in chapter and verse. But there might be wisdom that applies to your particular situation that might describe that. So that's why I've divided those two categories up. So here are my categories then. And the first of all, we, I talk about creation. So, so first of all, I talk about special revelation. And a good way of remembering it is that special revelation is where we learn about Jesus, where we learn about like the specifics. You can't learn about Jesus um, if you don't know anything about him by looking at creation. You can't learn about him by looking at thunderstorms or whatever. You might learn general things about God. You might learn about his power. But the specifics come, the fact that you've got to trust in him to be saved, um, comes through God speaking in this special way. Um, but if we go move over to general, uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal his greatness. And so these things that God is doing in creation are constantly speaking out God's character. There is no actual speech or word, nor is its voice literally heard, yet its voice echoes through the earth. Its words carry to the distant horizon. 
So what does God's creation tell us about God? Can you tell me? He is amazing. What else? Powerful. Very important. Like the the stars, the galaxies. What else? Creative. Yes. I would say uh, also he's got a sense of humor. I mean, look at things like the duck-billed platypus. Yeah, what a weird creature. You know, what, what a strange creature. Some of the things he's made, he just loves to do crazy things. And, um, so, uh, this is, this is, um, God's general revelation through creation. Also, um, he speaks to us through a knowledge of right and wrong that's built into all of us in Romans, 120, it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so people are without excuse. And so there's something in there, some knowledge of God that we get. Um, that doesn't mean we all agree on all the details, but there's amazing commonality across cultures about what we would, people would feel would not be right. Otherwise, there'd be no way we could talk about subjects like human rights. You'd have to have some intrinsic idea that, of agreement. Of course, there are disagreements, but nevertheless, there's a lot of commonality built into us. So I want to say that even if you've not seen creation, you've not read the Bible, you know it's wrong to kill somebody. You know it's wrong to steal. Something inside of you knows that because it's written on your heart. Um, then I talked about the events of life, and uh, I'm going to carry on with Psalm uh, 29. Uh, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The Lord shout breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. And so next time you hear a thunderstorm, think, oh, that's God speaking. <laughs> He's my God. I'm okay. So uh, that's just an example of all of things that are happening a God as God's uh, God's in control of. Another another verse uh, from Deuteronomy. O Lord our God, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? Um, so let's look at our, our picture again. All of these things are in God's hands. And actually, I want to say that all of them are through Jesus Christ. All revelation of God comes through Jesus. We know that the written word comes through him. In fact, John 1, 1 just calls him the word. So everything that's written comes through Jesus. But also, if you look carefully at the creation account, it's through Jesus creation occurred. And it's through the spirit that Jesus gave that we receive dreams and visions and prophecies. And he's described as the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so I want to argue that actually all revelation of God is in some way through the spirit. Um, so in even feelings, like in 2 Timothy 4.22, we read, The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So God speaks to us in special revelation and in general revelation. 
But I want to say, and this is one of my key points today, that God's words speak clearer than his works. Sorry, than, than his, yes, his words speak clearer than his works. So what he says in the Bible is much more clarity about what is being said than trying to derive something from events in life than things that happen to you. Sometimes it's very clear, like the phone call from New Zealand, but sometimes it's not so clear. Um, and people who try and discern by looking at the stars, you know, what God is saying, you know, we, we know that that is not the right way to do things. In fact, Psalm 19 continues, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So these, the, this uh, psalm that was telling us about creation is now moving over to a, a superior and more precise way of God speaking. So I would say that without God's words, it's very difficult to understand events that happen. Let me say, let me ask you a question. Suppose that later on today, you fall over and you break your leg. Now, I'm sure that's not going to happen to anybody here, but just supposing it did, um, what's God saying to you? What would God be saying to you? Watch how you walk. Okay. <laughs> um, uh it could be, be more careful. What else could he be saying? I'm going to take care of you. Yeah, he could be. He could be saying you shouldn't have been walking up that street. You know you're not supposed to go there. Um, he could have been saying, I'm going to give you an opportunity to witness to the, to the uh, ambulance driver and bring him to, bring him to faith. Maybe he's saying, you know, I want you to have a special time of rest in your life. And this is going to give you a time of rest. Um, but since God has not told you in his word, it's very difficult to be absolutely sure and precise about what God is doing, what God is saying. Um, some events in history are interpreted by God, like the Israel being brought out of captivity. We're told exactly what was happening there. But if it's bad weather tomorrow, what is God saying? Uh, there is actually one time when the weather was interpreted by God. Israel were fighting a battle and God sent hailstones into the faces of the enemy and they won the battle. And God said afterwards, I sent that to give you the victory. So one of the few times where we know what, why the weather was there. Um, but generally speaking, we need some explanation from God uh, to know what is happening Sometimes something that happens and there are principles in God's word that tell us. So, for example, when Anne and I first moved to Canada as a family, uh, we were part of a church that were incredibly kind to us when we moved. And they basically got us all the stuff we needed to, to, to start home in Canada. And we were just so touched by this. And we didn't have to say, well, why has this happened? We knew because God says he's put his love in the hearts of, of people for one another. We knew it was the love of Christ. We knew what we were receiving was actually from Christ through those other people because God has told us. So we could interpret that. We could explain it. Um, so uh, I would say then we can only understand what God is saying 
in events that happen by means of what he said to us in the scripture. Now, there's one other principle I want to say is that God's, God's words in the scripture speak authoritatively in a way that the other things don't. Um, and uh, let, me, let me try and explain what I mean here. Some answers to prayer are so clear that we can be pretty certain it's God's answer. Um, we, can, so we can be very, pretty sure. But the danger is when we start telling other people, oh, God told me this, God spoke to me, uh, as if, you know, we've got a direct word from God. So, for example, supposing a CEO of a, a Christian organization was considering moving the business to another city. And she decided that she was going to seek God, the will of God for this. And uh, she considers the wisdom of the decision, applies biblical principles, and comes to no clear conclusion. But then as she prays, some amazing, remarkable things happen, which point very strongly to not moving and to staying in that city. So that's fine, and that's great. But... The, the problems come if she was to then stand up and say, God told me we're to stay here. What would be a better way of saying that? Yeah, we've been guided. That would be good. Yep. Yeah. What else? I feel that what, the way that God is directing me in my life is, be, is leading us in this way. Uh, it seems to me that this is what God is saying to me. As you can describe it, um, uh, but uh, rather than saying God has said we should stay. And we could avoid a lot of problems if we just toned down that kind of language. Um, I, I once had a, a strong burden to pray for someone, and God really seemed to be putting up my heart to pray for them, and it turned out that uh, the thing I was praying for, I was completely misled about. But this doesn't deter me from doing this. Um, and because another time I had a strong feeling I needed to call somebody in New Brunswick and I called them and they picked up the phone and said, how did you know to call me now? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I was just about to take my life. Wow. So what was the cost of me being wrong? Well, nothing. If I was wrong, you know, I would say, no, it's great to talk to you. So what you can say is when there is, um, when you feel God is leading you, then sometimes, you know, it's worth, uh, even if you think, well, he may be 50-50 chance, it's worth following it because the cost of making a mistake isn't that great. Not a big cost. But if it's something more significant, like I think maybe he's leading me to marry that person, maybe 50-50, then you need a bit more than that to make a decision like that. So what I would say then is that this is not a hard and fast rule, and this isn't a sermon on guidance. I have some sermons on guidance. I will be preaching them at some point. But just a general principle, when you're hearing, when you're saying, is this God speaking, very often it doesn't hurt to assume that he is uh, if it's something minimal like making a phone call. Um, so to summarize, uh, revelation that is lower down in authority, and I'm actually going to give you a, a list here. Oh, I didn't read the last verse. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Oops, let's uh, 
let's have a look. So, to summarize then, revelation that's lower down in authority like general revelation needs to be explained and interpreted by something that's higher up. So that leads us back to my story, which I told you about earlier, and uh, I, I started reading from 1 Kings. And let's tell you the bit that I missed before. But Jehoshaphat asked, and this is before they go to battle, is there not a prophet of the Lord still here that we may ask him? So he's a bit suspicious of these hundreds of prophets that he's, that are all agreeing with one another. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one man through whom we can seek the Lord's will, but I despise him because he does not prophesy prosperity for me. But disaster, his name's Micaiah, son of Imla. Jehoshaphat said, the king should not say such things. The king of Israel summoned an official and said, quickly bring Micaiah, son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah were sitting on their respective thrones, dressed in their robes. So here he comes. Now the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, look, the prophets are in complete agreement that the king will succeed. Your words must agree with theirs. You must predict success. But Micaiah said, as certainly as the Lord lives, I will say what the Lord tells me to say. When he came before the king, the king asked him, Micaiah, should we attack Ramoth-Gilead or not? He answered, attack! You will succeed! The Lord will hand it over to the king. But the king can, can hear the sarcasm in his voice at this point. So he says, how many times must I make you solemnly promise in the name of the Lord to tell me only the truth? Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep that have no shepherd. Then the Lord said, they have no master. They should go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you? He does not prophesy prosperity for me, but disaster. And then ignored him. So I hope this gives you a clue as to some, one of the problems with prophecy is that we can, we can have like a, a, a bias in terms of what we listen to. And not just prophecy, but any way that God leads us, any events that happen in life, we have this bias. We want to listen to the one that sounds good to us. This is a huge problem that we have. And this is a very good illustration for it in Scripture. We can be selective. We're told to test the words, test prophetic words, and that includes seeking wisdom from others. And particularly if it's a high stakes issue. Um, I know somebody who was absolutely convinced that God was leading them to marry, uh, marry this guy. And it turned, she was absolutely convinced. She got all of these prophetic word lines lined up and she got all these events lined up. Everything looked so good. He turned out to be a fraud. He was a scoundrel. It was a lucky escape that he didn't marry him. So what went wrong? Well, there's this bias that we can have. Also, there are huge problems with coincidences because the way that humans work is we're always noticing things are unusual and we can, we can pick up things that we're looking for. 
And so if we're looking, we're interested in something particular, um, you know, I heard about somebody who was, um, they wanted to buy a new car. They're quite well off. They didn't need a new car, but they thought, is God guiding me to buy a new car? I don't know. But then a week later, they said, you know, I keep on seeing Mercedes. Everywhere I look, there are Mercedes. I think God must be guiding me to buy a Mercedes. They had three cars already, but you know, God was saying buy a Mercedes. Who could they? So, you know, we commit, we've got this bias in our brain that picks out things that, that we're subconsciously looking for. Be really, really careful about this. Um, so, uh, so here's an example for you. David was in the cave hiding from Saul. Saul decided he wanted to relieve himself, found a cave, went into it. It happened to be the same cave. What are the chances of that happening? David is there. Saul is relieving himself. David has the opportunity to creep up behind him and actually cut some of his robe off. Um, his his uh, chief of staff is saying, kill him, kill him. But why doesn't David kill him? Surely God is leading him so clearly at this point. And he doesn't kill him. Well, I'm going to give you, and this is going to be like my my big takeaway today, um, a suggested order, a hierarchy of, of when we're trying to make these decisions. First is direct teaching in the Bible. Second is biblical wisdom and principles from the Bible. The third is the conscience and inner work of the Spirit. The fourth is wisdom from the, from the Spirit in others, dreams, visions, prophetic words, Events and coincidences that seem to point to it in a direction and then feelings. So this is my suggestion. Now, what I'm saying is something on a higher one overrides something lower. So with David, he got um, an opportunity, extraordinary opportunity to kill Saul. Why shouldn't he do it? What above that was overriding it? Sorry? He was... Yes, Saul was anointed by God. That's right. And you, he, you know, you should not touch the Lord's anointed. So this was basically one, either one or two. And that, and that took precedence over that situation. So let me ask you, run, run some other ones by you. Um, when um, Naomi left the land of Israel, uh, her two sons married Ruth and I can't remember the other one. Orpah, and uh, and um, they married them, and then the two sons died, and Naomi was going back to the land, and she said to Ruth, "No, don't follow me. You need to fo- you need to marry again. So you go back to your own land where you'll be able to marry again." Basically, saying, you know, if you follow me, chances are you're not going to get married because you know you're not even an Israelite. Who's going to want to marry you? Um, and basically, that was the underlying thing. So here she has. An event uh, that seems to point, vert number six, to not going back in the land. Did she make the right choice? Yes, because she knew that God was the only God. Direct teaching the Bible. God was the one to be worshipped. And so she trusted that that was the right choice. And of course, God rewarded her with not only her husband, but being in the line of Jesus Christ. Another one. <clears throat> Joseph is in prison. His... Um, Sorry, before Joseph is in prison, he is the head servant in the house of Potiphar, been amazingly blessed, 
signs of God's blessing in his life. God's getting promoted uh, more and more. And now he has extreme favor with the wife of Potiphar. Is that God leading him? You could see, somebody could argue, no, she wants to go to bed with me. You know, maybe that's God, you know, because, you know, this is God's favor. Or, uh, what an amazing coincidence that God should, that this should happen. It must be God. Look, he's promised me all these things. God promised me when I was a child that he gave me this dream I was going to be a ruler. And maybe this is the way up. You could see how he could reason that. He didn't. He said, no, God has said, do not commit adultery. I won't sleep with her. So the, he evaluated them on this scale. This one was higher than this. Um, uh, so the unhappy dentist that we had, I talked about earlier, um, I don't know exactly what um, the situations were that led her into that point, but one of the things that God gives us wisdom about is making careers. And one of the things is, you know, uh, is this something that you feel that God has given you a gifting and an enjoyment for. And uh, I, I believe that if she'd sought spiritual wisdom from others and and asked them you know, what, and, and they could have walked her through this process. So I think it was defective in terms of making that decision. Um, so uh, what, just one more, and this is the New Testament one. Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, where he knows he's going to get imprisoned and taken to Rome, meets Agabus, a prophet, who says, God has told you not to go to Jerusalem. What's he to do? Here's a prophetic word telling him not to go from one of the greatest prophets alive at that point. Well, Paul had had wisdom from the Spirit, a very, very clear direction from the Spirit. We don't know if it was a vision, but it was quite clear that he was going to go to Rome. And he had a sense of what God was doing in his life that was so clear from the, the work of the Spirit in him that he knew that this wasn't right. And he knew this wasn't the truth from Agabus. So even this incredible prophetic word was overridden by what Paul knew of God's leading in his life. So um, I'm sorry this is a long message today, but I can't resist giving you one more thing. I toyed with the idea of taking the story out, but it's such a cool story that I've got to put it in there. So here's the, one of the weirdest stories in the Bible, and it's in three places, Kings, Chronicles, and Isaiah, listed out. The story's repeated in three places, and it's a weird story, and it's in three acts. And here's the first one. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and you shall not recover. Like Isaiah has said this. Okay, there's no, there's no doubt about this, is there? This is going to happen. What's he going to do? Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and you've done what is good in, and done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So it explains us a little bit more what's going on in some other places, but basically, God puts his stamp of approval on the good kings by giving them long lives, generally speaking, as a testimony that people would see that God is giving them favor. And what he's saying is, look, God, what messages are going to convey to the world when I serve you and I die, I get, I get, I die so quickly? 
People aren't going to believe you. So actually what he's doing, he's saying, here's a prophetic word, but it doesn't seem to fit with the principles of your revelation. I'm questioning this, God, and I'm going to cry to you. I'm going to challenge you, God, about this. Do you know what happens? (laughs) Very strange. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, in other words, he was still in the building, the words of the Lord came to him. Turn back. Say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Wow. And I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I'll defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So how are you going to behave if you're Hezekiah now? Um, What he basically says, like, you were wrong the first time. Uh, How do I know you're right this time? Hezekiah says to Isaiah, what shall be the sign? I want some, like, physical thing to happen. I want, like, some event to happen that the Lord will heal me and I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day. He asked for a pretty amazing sign. Isaiah said, this shall be the sign from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing he promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? In other words, do you want God to wind the sundial back or forwards? I'll change the sun in the sky, the position of the sun in the sky as evidence. That's pretty good, isn't it? That you'd believe that if it was God speaking. Uh, Isaiah says, uh, sorry, Hezekiah says, it's easy for the shadow to go forward ten steps. Let's let it go back. In other words, I want time to go backwards. Isaiah the prophet called the Lord and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. So this is unusual because it looks like the events of life are taking a lower precedence to prophetic word. But actually in context, it's, it's, it's about God, it is a revelation from God that I'm going to do this. So in context, um, it's saying God is speaking very directly into this and God has said he will do this. But this is an unusual story. And it's an unusual story because the prophetic word is in question. And I would say the takeaway from this is sometimes you need to ask God for a second opinion. So it's okay to ask God for a second opinion. That's my takeaway from this. So the first one is basically questioning the prophetic word. Okay, basically saying, God, I need this explained because it doesn't seem to fit in with your principles. The second one is asking for a second opinion. It's okay to do that. And God was okay with that. Like God didn't say, hey, Isaiah's told you, believe it. He didn't. Uh, so here's the third one. Another event. Oh, hang on. I'm just going to, I just want to go through my order there. Um, oh, we don't need to see that again. Here's the third. Now, here's an unusual opportunity. This is the third story. Immediately afterwards, at that time, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them. I mean, what an extraordinary thing that the, the empire, the leading empire in the world, should send somebody to, to visit you and to kind of bring you a get well card or whatever. And like, what, what amazing, and you no, know, surely this is God speaking. Hezekiah welcomed him and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Now we know from elsewhere this was pride. Actually, his pride of his heart 
had wrongly interpreted this event. And uh, Isaiah the prophet came to the king Hezekiah and said, what did these men say? From where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they've come from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah said, they've seen all, all that's in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses I didn't show them. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Very sad. Very sad. Um, so that's uh, wrongly understanding what God was doing. What should he have done at that point? He should have said, God has given me health, would you like to know about God? Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about the God that's done this, but not use this as an opportunity for boasting. So uh, uh, what, where are we going to go with this? I want to leave you with this slide, this final slide here about making choices. The first thing I want to say is don't make a bad choice and then blame God. And that's kind of obvious what I've been talking about today. Um, I don't think you need to reinforce that. The second one is you don't have to be perfect decision-making to please God. And the point isn't that we're going to get it perfectly right all the time because your heart is so much more important. Your heart, so I don't want you to, to have a life that's focused on like, I've got to make the perfect decision each time because actually you won't. But God is far more interested in actually is your heart after following him. That is the main thing. Uh, and so I would say pray for wisdom above all things. And James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So when we come to make choices in our lives, it's rarely black and white. Usually there's some kind of hierarchy that we have. There's events at the bottom, God's written word at the top, and we're somewhere in the middle there. And I want to urge you, don't jump to the conclusion that you want it to be immediately and without seeking God for wisdom, without seeking wisdom from other people, then end up by blaming God because of the situation you've got into because of that. Don't do that. But believe God does love you. He, He wants you to be blessed in this life. But most of all, he wants your heart. He wants you to have a heart that longs for him, that desires him. And even if you make choices that are really, really bad, this is that's just a temporary thing because he wants to be with you for eternity. And so I just want, I don't want to, to leave you at a discouraging point where you think this is all so hard. I want to leave you at a point where really what it comes down to is we have a God of love who wants to bless us. He says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And the real question is, how can I receive the most blessing from God? Like, how can I receive everything that God wants me to have? And I just want to end up just with one more thing. Um, once um, I told you the story about my dad, when um, uh, he was praying about going to New Zealand, um, well, I had a major decision in my life. I, I worked for um, IBM, in research, I had a very, very good job there, and I was 
thinking about leaving that behind and doing something which would give me more time to, 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 to work in God's kingdom. And I asked my dad his, his uh, advice for making the decision. And he said, Andrew, if you are really seeking God, he will guide you. If you're really seeking him. But sometimes in my experience, he guides really clearly. Like, you know, it's like, almost like a voice from heaven. But sometimes you just follow, you just ask for wisdom, you make your decisions, you make lists of, of pros and cons, and you pray over them. And but and God guides you through that. It doesn't mean to say he hasn't guided you because he's promised he will guide you. So don't feel you have to have some magic bullet in making a decision. Just give it to God and trust him in that. And I did that and I left IBM and I believe in, in, in hindsight it was exactly the right decision to make. And, uh, and God guided me. So there's no cut and dried easy answer but we can pray and we can ask him. And I want to do that now for each of us because probably a number of you here are facing choices in your life. I know some of you are facing some major choices and you're seeking God and I'm just going to lift you up at this point to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you, God, that you care for us and for our futures. And Lord, for each one who right now in this church is seeking your will, I pray, Lord, that you'll bring clarity to them. I pray, Lord, that you'll bring them wisdom and understanding as to what they're to do. And I pray, Lord, that we would all of us be able to testify of what a gracious and loving God you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.